Welcome to Better News, a series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by API and the Knight Temple Lenfest News Initiative. It's also funded by the John S. and James L. K. Knight Foundation. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research API has published as part of its Better News Initiative. In this episode, we're looking at how the Minneapolis Star Tribune ventured into the crowded events market. Joining us are Steve Yeager, the Chief Marketing Officer, and Suki Dardarian, the Senior Managing Editor at the Star Tribune. Welcome to the podcast, Steve and Suki. Great to be here. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here. So what problem were you trying to address by venturing into the events market? Well, I think the same problem everybody's trying to address, which is declining revenue in our core business. So uh, we very much look at our events line of business as something that can help close the gap as those print revenues continue to decline. What were some of your initial forays into events? Well, we moved our headquarters in 2015. And so we found ourselves in a, in a new building that had space for public events. And so for the first time, we were able to invite people into our space, into our home, and to put our journalists in position to be on stage with newsmakers and invite people to those conversations. And so for the first year or so, we did very well with those. Some of them were sponsored, some of them were not, but it was very much an experimental phase. And we learned two things. First thing we learned is that we can draw a crowd. We regularly got six to 700 people downtown over the lunch hour to, for example, hear from our sports editors and our beat writers in conversation with Minnesota Twins organization, or to hear from our meteorologists in April talking about you know, the impending storm season and what to expect and so forth. The second thing we learned is that uh, we had some really compromised acoustics. And over time, uh, we decided that it just, until we could address that with the building, it just didn't make sense to continue. I mean, these are the kind of events where you really want to hear what people are saying. And uh, even though we were able to bring in some pretty skillful sound reinforcement folks, we just we couldn't make the experience great for everybody. So we suspended those. We don't do those or we don't do them in quite the same way anymore. But we did learn that our ability to design an event, promote an event, will draw the crowds that we hope. So what gaps in the events market did you identify and how did you take advantage of them? It's a good question. And I think the first thing you have to do is step back and understand the market that you're operating in. And in our market, we describe, Michael, as a heavily ticketed market. We have uh, all of the major league sports teams here, including the WNBA. We have a Big Ten University. We have a pretty significant minor league baseball team that draws good crowds. We have a really robust theater scene. We have two orchestras. That's just the stuff that lives here. On top of that, Minneapolis is a stop for a lot of big uh, touring events. We just have the Super Bowl. We're just about to have the Final Four here. But X Games and Cirque du Soleil and all those types of touring companies come here as well. So it's a market where people have a ton of options. So first thing we do is sort of look at the larger consumer event landscape and try to understand where there are gaps because there aren't many. But the second thing we ask ourselves is, is what can we do uniquely? In other words, as a news organization with a lot of experts and personalities of our own, are there things that we can put on stage, people we can put on stage, events we can host that really nobody else could do? So those are the two ways we look at the, the gaps in the market. So Suki, I know that, you know, when, when you're talking about events, I think 
from a marketing perspective, it's pretty easy to sort of see, yeah, this is maybe a revenue stream. This is a way to sort of put out our expertise. What do you see as the advantage of doing events from a, an editorial perspective? I think there are actually a whole bunch of advantages. The best reason for doing this is to develop trust, both trust among our audience and our staff, but also trust back at the audience and to develop that relationship. And so for our staff, being able to be in a situation with the members of our community that's where they're not essentially doing their job, they're not interviewing people necessarily, they're not they're not rushing around on deadline, they're listening and they're talking and, and, and getting to know people. Likewise, I think for the people who read the Star Tribune in print or online to be able to, to meet the humans who produce this news and are asking the questions out there helps give them a sense of trust, hopefully, in the people who are working on their behalf. So there's a, there's a kind of a spiritual quality to it. Yeah, I know a lot of times events are about drawing, driving revenue, but I also think it's about this great opportunity to drive trust. Is there any thought about how to get events around big news stories or breaking news events? Well, we haven't done that so much as an event. We have done some community engagement around big stories. We did a, a series of community conversations with members of our Somali community. And there are some stories emerging from their community. And so we spent some time with the help of Solutions Journalism, sitting down with people in the community and listening to them about what stories they thought we ought to be doing, what stories they wanted us to be doing. And, you know, I wouldn't call that an event. There were no tickets sold, but I think there is an opportunity and plenty of newsrooms are doing this across the country to, to gather together um, and have some community conversations around big stories. Suki's dead on. And, and even when we do events that you would describe as more commercial, so for example, we launched a large consumer travel show and, and we've uh, the Times and the Globe and, and uh, Newsday and others doing them. We try to put our journalists on stage as much as we can. So we have one of our best photographers doing a session on you know how to take great travel photos, or we have our travel editor on uh, talking about something that would be of interest to attendees there. So even in the more commercial settings, we try to create as many opportunities as we can for our journalists and for our personalities to shine. Can you talk about any of the, the particular events that you've had that have been extremely successful? I think one of our most successful events, at least in terms of sort of the demand and just sort of enthusiasm of the participants, is our top workplaces event. We work with Energage, formerly Workplace Dynamics, as so many news organizations do, on our top workplaces program, which surveys you know, employees at companies around the region. And then our newsroom works with them to publish that report of the 150 top workplaces. And then we celebrate all of those workplaces that make the list uh, with a big luncheon. And we've been selling that out for, I don't know, seven or eight years. The, the event combined with all of the advertising and marketing opportunities around the publication of the list is really embraced enthusiastically by HR leaders, company leaders, advertisers. I would say that's near the top of the list of our, our longest running successes. Suki, what, any come to mind for you? That one's probably the, the most refined and sophisticated of all the events that we do. But we did another one this year that I thought was amazing and terrific, celebrating prep athletes and prep sports. And we had an event at Target Field, the baseball stadium, we invited 
top athletes, inspirational athletes, their coaches, their families, and gave out some awards and celebrated the people who really work hard to make high school athletics successful. That was, that had some sponsors. We got, you know, we had a great venue and so we were able to bring some revenue in, but also what a great convening of that group of people and what a great celebration of all the hard work that particularly the kids, but also coaches and families put into youth sports. Have you had any learning experience events, things that may not have been, you know, financially successful, but maybe taught you something about what you should or shouldn't be doing in the future? You know, we pass on a lot of events before they ever even launch. I mean, we have a pretty disciplined process for evaluating an event's potential. There's very specific steps that we go through. And so, you know, there are some that just we leave on the launch pad, so to speak. But in terms of things we've launched, I, what I would say, uh, Michael, is they, they were successful on one dimension or a couple dimensions, you know, engagement, attendance, you know, sort of emotional <laughs> but maybe not as successful and not sustainable in a financial sense. And, you know, and, and sometimes those are, those are hard decisions. So could you talk a little bit about uh, the, your process for identifying something that could be an event and then sort of how you develop it? Prep sports, that, that's a good example. And, and we see that happening in other markets as well. We've had our own approach to that. The first thing you've already alluded to, Michael, which is, you know, identifying the market gap. That's the first thing we look for. In our market, uh, there, there was no event honoring, you know, the top prep high school athletes. Second thing we look for is does it align with our brand, right? I'm not going to do anything that puts our brand at risk or doesn't feel right. You know, we would never, I don't know, sponsor a gun show or, you know, do something like that. The third, and I think the most important is, you know, does it align with our news coverage? You know, you have on the podcast here, you have, you know, you have the managing editor and the head of marketing. That's kind of how we think about neither of us is going to go too far down the road thinking about an event without coming together to talk about it in the early stages. If all those criteria are met, great. Now we get sort of to the commercial considerations. You know, what is the what is the attendance potential, right? How big can this event be? What's the revenue potential? We look at that three ways, which I'll talk about a little bit. And then the sixth and final is just an assessment of the execution risk. Uh, you know, we do a pro forma P&L, of course, but then we try to figure out, you know, what what's the risk of failure here? What does failure look like? How expensive would failure be? We look at the calendar, frankly. We don't want any more events in June. <laughs> we have all the events we can handle. Uh, Suki alluded to uh, the, the prep sports event that we launched last year. That was a, a cornerstone in a $600,000 program where uh, sponsors uh, rode along with our high school sports coverage uh, throughout the school year. Sports coverage that Suki and her team really reinvented and brought to life in some exciting new ways. She can talk about that. But it, it was interesting. Four sponsors uh, that supported that program <laughs> What they really wanted was to be at the event. They had this great visibility all throughout the year, but it was the event that sort of created the emotional hook. They wanted to be in the room when these 500 athletes, parents, coaches, and supporters were, were being celebrated. And, and in fact, the event, the event itself was a home run. You know, we had a, a hundred or so students there. And then, you know, this community of people who are passionate about high school sports. Tell me, I mean, this does sound like a really kind of a positive thing and, and something that could that sort of folds into your mission and folds into your editorial, you know, coverage, you know, was there any difficulty in getting sort of editorial buy-in to this, you know, Hey, we're going to start doing events at all, Suki? I think there is sometimes, there is a lot of excitement about events, but I think then when you come down to the person who has to go be in the event, there can be some stage fright. 
we have an event, Photos of the Years, and if we feature we feature the work of all of our photo staff and we show a video, but we also bring two of the photographers in to talk about either a particular story that they worked on that year or just their, their history. You know, asking a photographer to speak and make a presentation is a little different from sending them out into the field. And so they've helped each other with that and um, they're getting really good at it. So it's, I think it's more a little bit about stage fright or I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing as opposed to I disagree with this idea. That's certainly heartwarming because uh, so often you think as a journalist, you're out there, you're covering something, you're doing your deadlines, you, you do talk to people in the community, but you're not always seeing the effect of your work. And then because you're at an event doing something that's connected with your reporting, you're able to interact with people and share the good feelings that they have that I, I can imagine is really heartening to to people in editorial. Hey, people in marketing like it too. Well, you got your you got your bottom line. You can always look at your bottom line <laughs> and, and feel good about that. I'm sorry, that's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> you have feelings as well. I understand. <laughs> Suki's heard me say this before. The best thing that you can achieve as a marketer is to make people cry. And uh, there, were, there were a couple moments at the at the Prep Sports Awards where many many uh, eyes were moist. Part of the, the Better News Project at the American Press Institute, you guys did a story where you referenced three of the seven table stakes from the night table stake projects. And, and the three ones that you, you focus on were serving target audiences with targeted content. Well, you're certainly creating these events, and I'm sure that there's content that associated content with it. Uh, using audience funnel discipline to, to deepen an engagement with occasional users. I mean, that's, again, something you create an event where people can go to that serves their interest and, uh, you know, they get good feelings about what, you know, what the publication is doing and, and they communicate that to you and then diversifying your revenue from, from the audiences that you build. So, you know, how do these table stakes inform your projects and, and how successful have you been in, in, in meeting those? Well, when you think about those table stakes, they're essentially saying, what do you do well? What's really valuable that you do? And what do you do that your audience values? And how can we connect those values so that our great photographers or our meteorologists or our sports staff can get up close and personal with the fans or the readers to talk about their world and their life? You're leveraging your, your skills and talent. You're leveraging an audience. And potentially, if you're charging any money for this thing, you're, you're driving a little extra revenue. And so you have to really look at what you do well and what you know your audience appreciates already. So how do you identify inspiring stories? Uh, you know, you mentioned the solutions journalism before, but how do you identify stories like that to turn into events? Well, I can tell you a little bit longer story about solutions. You know, in our effort to do more solutions journalism, almost every one of our investigative pieces and, you know, much of our daily reporting is driven around okay, this is the problem, but what is the solution? What are the potential solutions? And what have other people and communities done when confronted with this challenge? What ideas have they come up with? So it's not just, this is a happy story, but when challenged, how do people respond and react? And let's track the value of what they do. So that's been a part of a lot of our reporting regularly. We saw that in the metrics that 
if we did a story about a problem and then also identified some solutions, the stories about solutions in some cases were driving as much traffic or more in some cases as the original story about the problems. And so we realized that, that there was value, just separate value in writing solution-driven stories, not just attached to problems. And so we actually came up with the idea of producing a print section that also has an online section and it now has a newsletter, it's called Inspired. And we write stories about people dealing with challenges. And we have the, the editor of that section is doing a, a weekly spot on a local radio show. And now we're talking about making that some sort of an event. And so could we showcase some of the best stories, the best people? Is there an opportunity to engage those folks in a conversation that's deeper and broader and more experiential than picking up a section every week and reading it or clicking on a story. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've talked uh, many times on our podcast about solutions journalism and, you know, this is a great illustration of, of that working really kind of well. It's not just you guys broadcasting something and here you do this. It's actually being involved in the community, creating events that bring people in, you know, giving lots of different voices, mixing in different people to, you know, maybe address problems in the community. You know, that can be really powerful. And, you know, the fact that you, you're doing it with a, with a marketing perspective as well, with the idea that this is going to help you not only, you know, reach people and find solutions, but it's going to help you with a big solution for you, which is to diversify your revenue, identifying a revenue stream. I, I think that's that's exciting. So why should other newsrooms consider entering the events market? Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> They're going to compete with you? Is that what it is? No, Suki knows my spiel. Their uh, events are resource intensive, high risk and low margin. Terrible idea. <laughs> I'm joking, of course, but I, I say that, uh, and I said that in my Better News uh, posting. I say that just as a note of caution. You know, Suki alluded to this earlier. The supply of great ideas exceeds our ability to execute them all, right? So I, I think you have to be really disciplined and thoughtful, even, even as, you know, we all have to move fast, right? We all have to move fast to find new ways to engage audiences, find new revenue. But events are just, they're just different in that failure can come to life in several ways. One of which is, you know, you can end up losing money, right? Depending on the type of event that you're doing. There's often risk of losing a significant amount of money. You try to mitigate that risk a lot of different ways. But there's also the risk of just, you know, having a sad event that not very many people come to. And, and that's something that I'm very averse to. I want, when people come together around something they're passionate about, and we're convening that, and we're in the middle of that, I want them to have a great time. Not an okay time, certainly not a sad time. I, I want to do everything I can to ensure that they leave feeling good about the Star Tribune, feeling good about uh, the work Suki's team does, and glad that they responded to our invitation. So, so I, I always sound that note of caution, you know, because it's a hot topic, right? Like we're sort of rushing at this, but go after it enthusiastically, but cautiously and run it like a business with, with a P&L and, and, uh, and the right uh, roles and skills and workflows in place. And, uh, that's always my starting point. Identify possible pitfalls, uh, maybe 
start slow, <laughs> sort of maybe get your, you know, identify some successes and a way to sort of build on that, I guess. These are some of the things. For Suki, from your perspective, from a, the editorial department, you know, how would you, what would you say to other newsrooms, to other, you know, editorial teams out there that, you know, that this idea comes up, we need to be doing events. What would you say to them? There are a number of suggestions. One is to be going eyes wide open. Lots of people have lots of ideas for things that might be fun events. You really have to have some specific goals. You have to, you know, as we discussed with the table stakes earlier, lean into something you already know and do well. Lean into something that you know your audience appreciates. Steve talks about being able to hold an event that when people head home that evening or later in the day, that they feel good about having attended it, that they felt connected with their fellow citizens, they felt connected with us, There was they were taking home value and enrichment. So thinking about the whole experience, how are we going to, it's like any kind of a, an event that you throw, you're going to have a party or a wedding. Where are you going with this? What are you doing? And how are you thinking about the audience? It's really, is, it's more about them than it is about you, as opposed to, we have this great person, we want to showcase this person. Well, you know, what's the draw for the audience? What's the value for the audience? Think about it from the audience perspective. Suki and I always have a, a shared motivation in these things. And I think these are your words, Suki, from way back. They give us a, an opportunity to, to humanize and demystify what we do. And I think that's been a challenge for local news media brands over time. You know, the brands take on sort of institutional quality, right? And there's sort of there's some arm's length feeling there. We just love taking those walls down whether it's an event here, you know, in our space or, or somewhere else, and just showing audiences that, you know, the people behind the work. Sugi alluded to this, you know, we, we have a, a unique ability, a power to, to convene happenings, you know. As a marketer, I think about all the brands and businesses out there that, that wish they could draw a crowd around what they do, wish they could draw a crowd to come closer and see the good work that they're doing. I don't mean to say it's not hard work putting on events, but it's not hard for us to draw a crowd. People are curious about our work. They're curious about the ways we're touching the community. And so that's just an incredible, uh, incredibly powerful uh, asset that we all have. From a strictly practical sense, you're meeting new people. You're probably hearing some new stories that may lead to other stories and, and things that you can write. And that's always good. But yeah, you've got a lot of positive things that are coming out of this. Suki, Steve, thanks for coming on the, uh, the podcast. I really appreciate it. You know, events is something that I always wanted to cover on our podcast and I never had the opportunity. And, and this has been really a fun conversation. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing it, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News Initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News Initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.